Daniel chapter 1, standing by a purpose true. We have an introduction to Daniel this morning from the book in the scriptures that is named after him. Daniel, who served in the court of the mightiest ruler of the ancient world at the time, and yet was a man of great faith, of real courage, and utter consistency all of the time that he lived as an exile in Babylon. His book is largely autobiographical, uh, partly biographical, and in our Bibles it appears amongst the prophetic books, uh, but in the ancient Hebrew Bible it was classified as the writings which included historical books and the reason of course being was that much of Daniel in the latter chapters is looking for prophetically and historically but Daniel was also a prophet it's a wonderful book the latter chapters are particularly hard to understand I'm beginning with chapter 1 uh, if I keep coming to you uh, we may be venturing further into the book how far we will go, only the Lord knows. Uh, but here is a man of God to be brought to our attention. A man worthy of imitation and someone who directs our thoughts to our living God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just make sure we understand Daniel's times. We've already looked at it a little bit with the pictures to help us understand the times and the empires and what was going on. The Babylonians and their successors three times attacked the little Jewish kingdom called Judah, which compromised the two tribes of Israel. And three times they came and they surrounded the city and the city surrendered and three times they took away captives to live in Babylon. And without giving you all the dates, because we will easily forget the dates, the main thing is to realize what is happening to the small kingdom of Judah and what God is allowing to happen with the great empire of the Babylonians. And so Daniel's book covers this period of the uh, power of Babylon and the expansion of its empire but also the survival not simply of the people of Judah but the faith of the people of Judah because these are the people in the world who'd got some knowledge of the one true and living God they had got the scriptures they had got the records of what God had given to his servant Moses they got the records of what God had added to them in the book of Psalms, and they got some of the prophets. They were a people who had some knowledge of the living God, and that was going to be preserved, even though they lived in exile, surrounded with a pagan culture and all different religions from the ancient world. And Daniel came from a noble Judean family. 
And yet, he lived his adult life for the greater part in Babylon, 70 years of exile. And uh, under his, uh, uh, during his t lifetime, he saw the rulers of the world come and go. Nebuchadnezzar and Belteshazzar, Belshazzar, uh, the Neo-Babylonians, followed by Darius the Mede, and then Cyrus the Persian. Daniel saw these great changes that were going on in the world. And always the history of the world has been full of changes. And yet though Daniel saw change in the rulers of the world, he knew the one who really ruled the world, the living God, was unchanged. And his life was entrusted to his care. And so one of the principal themes in the book of Daniel is the absolute sovereignty of God. And this was particularly significant to Daniel and his faithful friends because the gods of the heathen, the world powers that worship pagan gods, gods of the imagination, human-created gods, seem to be triumphing over the true people who knew the one living God. And that theme must have been so precious to Daniel to know that things were so difficult for those who were trusting in the Lord and yet the Lord still cared for them. And God had his will being done and overriding the will of the rulers of the world. And another emphasis that comes through in the book of Daniel is that the Lord does preserve his people even when they suffer for their sins. Why were God's people in exile? Well, the Bible had predicted uh, long, long ago what would happen when God's people were unfaithful when they no longer worshipped him as they should, when they no longer trusted him, when they no longer obeyed him. He won. But if they deserted him, he would desert them and they would suffer invasion and, uh, and oppression. And Daniel had lived and had known what his forefathers had done. They'd been, corrupt, they'd been corrupted in their lifestyles and in their religion. And God was going to use this captivity to purify and discipline. And God preserved them. That's why I'm with Daniel at the moment. You see, it's almost like we're living in Babylon as Christians today. We're living in a society that doesn't respect or know the one true and living God and doesn't live by his word. We're living in a society where there's all kinds of different beliefs that supposedly are just as good as one another. And we're like Daniel in exile as we live our lives as believers, trusting the living God. One of the great thinkers of the church, we call them theologians, was a man called Augustine. He lived at a, a town in North Africa called Hippo. He's distinguished from another Augustine who was at Canterbury. Augustine of Hippo was probably one of the church's greatest teachers before John Calvin. 
And one of his most famous books was called The City of God. And he said that there are two cities in the world. There is, or, or we could call them two societies in the world. Uh, Augustine was saying there's, 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 there's a city whereby people just live for the world and for themselves with no desire to know the God who created them and the God that they should love and obey. But there's another city uh, of people who've come to know the meaning of life, who've come to know the one true God who's revealed himself to the world by sending his Son to be the Saviour of the world. And that God, the living God, has got another people within the other world that belong to him. And Augustine was, was really beginning to teach how important the gatherings of the people of God are. We come today together to give God the praise and the thanks that's due to him, to learn from him, and to encourage each other to stand together in a time when there is so much to undermine our faith in the living God. We're living in a world that's setting its own standards and adopting its own beliefs rather than what is credible and true and real. And the city that Augustine talked about is one that anyone can enter when they acknowledge they need to belong to another kingdom besides the kingdom of the world. To belong to the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus said in his ministry when he founded the kingdom of God, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. There has to be a rebirth. There has to be a turning our back upon our past sin. And there has to be turning to Jesus Christ in confession and trust. And the doors of that city stand open today. If you've not yet entered the kingdom of God, why not? So let's now come to Daniel's early life. So here we've got this lovely picture. Um, the New King James Bible, which he read, talks about uh, their diet being vegetables um, uh, and uh, the food that they were offered as delicacies. And this is all a picture about the uh, promising young men being chosen for special roles in the empire chosen on the basis of their looks no acne <coughs> chosen on the basis of their education they were bright, they could learn chosen on the basis of their willingness to progress and to develop and so they were going to be taught all the best learning of the Chaldeans they would learn the arts they would learn astronomy they would learn the sciences, much as is known. And, and remember, one of the things in Babylon was the famous hanging gardens. It's fascinating how people are trying to 
understand exactly where they were and exactly how they worked and exactly how the water got up from the, the, the river below. I think they believe now that it was used with an Art, uh, uh, Artemis crew and got the water up from the river into the hanging gardens. So this was an advanced civilization of the time. And there, Daniel and his friends were chosen for advancement and position and power. You notice that their names were changed. Daniel's birth name means Jehovah is judge. But Nebuchadnezzar gives him Belteshazzar, which is a name that honours a pagan god. And all the other um, chosen young men get renamed. They get named with Babylonian names associated with Babylonian gods. What are they doing? They're trying to get the captive young men to forget their past. They're trying to get the young men to adopt Babylonian beliefs and practices and lifestyles. They want the young men to talk and act and think like Babylonians, not like Judeans. They want to reshape their mind. Notice some time ago, uh, the Russians took away a load of children from Ukraine and had them readopted in Russia. They're trying to de-Ukrainian them and make them be Russians. You know that in China, um, the uh, Ouija uh, tribe in North China, uh, the Chinese are brainwashing them to try and get rid of them, uh, to get rid of their culture and their Islamic religion. Same was going on in Babylon, but this time it was, Chris, uh, it was believers in God. And that's so often what can be happening to us today and to young people with the curriculums in our schools and with the value that is present, values that are presented to us and the beliefs. There's a, a satanic desire to reshape the thinking of young people today. And uh, Daniel is there with his friends uh, in that kind of situation. Now he's, uh, uh, Daniel and his friends are chosen for prominence. There's, there's a great opportunity for them to um, advance themselves and get the best out of what Babylon offers to enjoy the pleasures all the pleasures of Babylon but Daniel and his friends had taught that some things were out of bounds for those who knew the living God they knew that there were certain boundaries that God didn't want them to cross if they were to know his blessing and his presence. Peter, when he wrote to New Testament Christians, said, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Though they were teenagers, 
Daniel and his friends knew enough of the Lord and his ways to know that they needed to stand fast in that. So that's the background. Now, we come to a specific test of the young men's faith in Babylon. So they are picked out as a select group to enjoy the best food and drink that the palace can offer. Accepting that just was another part of their journey for advancement in Babylon, an acceptance in Babylon. But suddenly, there's some considerable hesitation. They are offered the king's delicacy and the wine that he drank. But verse 8 tells us Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacy, nor with the wine he drank. Daniel sees that lovely food and that delicious wine as something which will defile him if he eats and drinks it. What does he mean by that? He means that this is something forbidden by God to his people in the Old Testament, in his time. And he knew that certain foods that the Babylonians ate were forbidden in the law of Moses. Things such as pork, or hare, or certain fish. He also knew that some of the meat uh, would not have the blood drained from it as the law of Moses commanded. Moreover, he knew that the food in the palace or the food provided by palace officials would have been dedicated to the god Belmirodak before it was eaten. I've never forgotten going to what's now Turkey and uh, visiting um, one of the uh, churches of Asia. And the tour guide took us to Pergamon. And he told us that uh, we went up the hill. It was very steep. We went by a cable car, I believe. We reached the top and there was an altar. And he told us that all the meat that was eaten in Pergamon had to go up to the altar and be offered to the God there before the people could consume it. Similar situation, I believe, in Babylon. We, as believers, will say a table grace. And we will thank the Lord for what he's given to us and pray that it will be a blessing to us. In a similar way, Daniel is facing food that had been offered and thanks had been given to an idol. And Daniel and his friends made up their mind they were not going to cross that line and eat it for those reasons. Now, I think what is interesting is Daniel is really in a, perhaps a difficult position because he may be thinking to himself, look, if I just 
eat some of that and drink some of that, it's going to make sure that I get a prominent position in Babylon and I can do some good in Babylon in a high position. So maybe, maybe God won't be too annoyed with me if I just eat that and drink that and then I can get a good position in Babylon and please him by the way I live. Daniel wasn't going to bargain with God like that. He stood firm. He was going to do the right thing. And then if God wanted him to be promoted, he would accept God's will. Or even if it was going to be denied him, he would accept God's will. So he made the right stand at the outset. Customs change. You know... The old uh, maxim is, when you're in Rome, you must do as Rome does. Few of us dare to be a Daniel and be different and be unusual in our faith, in our lifestyle. And we might think it was a trivial thing about this fuss about food. But you see, Daniel knew what lay back of it. Living and eating and drinking like that kind of gave lip service to a pagan god and living and eating like that offended the god who promised blessing on his faithful people. God's called us to be people who live lives that are pleasing and holy in his sight. And though it seems a little thing, do you remember what the Lord Jesus said? Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And you see how wonderfully true that came in, uh, out in Daniel's life later on. Uh, he, he made his stand now while he was young and then later on, why? He went right to the top of the kingdom. Because God was with him. If Daniel had not been so faithful then, he would have not been so greatly blessed later in life. And that brings us to Daniel's faith. Daniel's faith. He was confident that he could trust God to look after him, even though perhaps the food wouldn't just be as have been as nutritious and as nourishing as he would have had in the palace and so for the next 10 days um, he requests that they just be given vegetables and water we don't know exactly the nature of the food the exact type of food but it wasn't ever going to be as naturally nutritious and energizing as palace food but he knew that God could bless whatever he ate. We know, and that's why we say grace, because we know God can make our food a blessing. And we know God can give us the digestive ability. We know God can sustain us with perhaps very poor food. Honestly, when you read some of the diets of the world, 
you wonder how people live so old. You really do. And it does remind us that God has God given us wonderful bodies. And God can bless our bodies uh, and uh, sustain our bodies with, humanly speaking, a very limited diet. Julia's got a, a cousin who's had a dreadful affliction of ME. He's lain flat in bed for seven years, unable to bear light, touch, sound, smell, and has been fed through a syringe to his mouth for about six years. And this Christmas, he went up to his mum and dad's house and he ate some food with a knife and fork. His body has been sustained like that for six years. He caught something when he was serving the Lord <coughs> with mission aviation in Uganda. And the Lord has wonderfully raised him up. I'm not saying he's ever going to be hale and hearty, but he's now got all his senses back wonderfully. That's our God. And God blessed the food that Daniel and his friends ate. So that's the story of Daniel and his three friends in Daniel chapter 1. But I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to summarize what we learned from it. Firstly, remember this. Daniel had to make a decision with his three friends. And they stuck to it. When he was young, he had got <coughs> convictions as to what was true and what was right. And he clearly saw what was wrong and false and hurtful. And he stuck to it. He was away from his home culture. He didn't necessarily have a big extended family to support him. But he'd made that decision and he stuck to it. He also was willing to be in a minority. You can be pretty sure that those four young men were the only people who weren't going to go with all the Babylonian requests and requirements. He knew all those around him would have no qualms about doing the things that the living God had told him not to do. And he was ready to be tested with his principles, knowing God would hear his prayer and would give him good health. He was willing, in the third place, to suffer for standing for the Lord rather than offend God and sin against God. He was willing to be holy. That is to say, holiness means separateness. Holiness means purity like God. And that's what he wanted to be. He didn't want to be defiled or corrupted. We as Christians are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ 
who has said to us, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Be holy, says God. It is written, because I am holy. And being holy means we're showing our faith to the world. We're showing what Christ is like. We're showing that we're bound to a world of love and purity and holiness, which is heaven. Daniel wanted to be God-like. We want to be Christ-like if we know the Lord is our Lord. Was Daniel rewarded? Absolutely. The passage tells us those young men looked better after their test than all the others. The Bible tells us that Daniel and his friends found favour with the officials. They couldn't be faulted. They might have been misunderstood for their stand, but their uprightness brought favour with the officials. And we see how later on Daniel was trusted. And God gave them physical well-being. I know many struggle with poor health. Genetically, some of us are made different than others, and some of us are not so robust. But God gave these ones particular good health because he had a particular role for them in life. And I think it's remarkable that we are told that in every matter of wisdom and understanding, he found them ten times better than the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. <laughs> in other words, they exposed the fallacy of magic and enchantment. They saw through it. They were what you call genuine scientists. Stuff was tested and shown to be hollow if it wasn't of the living God. And God blessed them with good understanding. It's a wonderful blessing if God has given us clear, good thinking. The Bible says godliness has value for all things. Holding promise both for the present life and for the life to come. So Daniel's lesson for us all this morning is those who honour me I will honour. Those who honour me I will honour. And if we do that through our lives at the end of our life the Lord will say well done good and faithful servant you've been faithful in a few things I'll put you in charge of many things come and share your master's happiness Daniel Daniel tested Daniel faithful Daniel rewarded